St. Paul says, Death, where is your sting? Christians believe in the resurrection of the body. Christians hope in the reality of heaven. But how can this authentic Christian hope exist alongside such sadness and feelings of loss when someone we love dies? Two of the most striking words in the entire Bible are, Jesus wept. Even this eternal God, who became man, wept over the death of his dear friend Lazarus. Walk with us as we explore death and the feelings of loss by those of us left behind. I am Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. Jeff and Jeannie seem to have the idyllic life in a quaint town in central Maryland. We both came from big families. We wanted lots of kids. We had five. We feel quite blessed that we had the five. They were, you know, about one every two years, starting with Peter down to Joe. I have loved raising the kids, and I've loved being married to Jeannie, and it has not been perfect. And, you know, we have all the stresses. Jeannie was pregnant or nursing for 10 years in a row. That's hard, you know, and all those kids. I mean, my gosh, I don't know how we did it. I look at little young families now and I say, if I see four kids, I go, wow, that's a big family. And we had five, you know, spread out at church and we would divide the kids, one here and one here and then one on either side of Jeannie. And In some ways, I felt like we were a pretty normal family. The kids, they were just normal kids. They liked sports. They did okay in school. We took them to church every Sunday. As they got a little older, we did Christian camps, they did mission trips, we went on retreats. We basically had the um, attitude that we could protect our kids from everything and that parents do things right, everything works out. Um, And that's not the way it worked out. Their fourth child, Kathleen, had a passion for serving others. Even after high school, she went on mission trips to the Dominican Republic, Detroit, Mexico. And after college, her commitment to others continued as she traveled to Belfast and became active in a prison ministry. But from a very young age, Jeff and Jeannie realized that Kathleen was a different kind of kid. When she was very young, by about three years old, she realized that other people would give her more attention than me. And so when I would take her out, uh, she would kind of scope out the room and look and find the oldest person and go and sit next to them. And which at the time, you know, it it could be at the mall, we're getting a pretzel and she would grab the pretzel and then run and find somebody sitting on a bench and sit down and talk to them. And I, of course, was rather nervous and protective of her doing things like that. And so I would keep my eye on her and, and then I would say, Kathleen, it's time to come back. And she would say, mom, I'm talking to my friend. She she was fiercely independent, and she had a real immaturity streak, always wanting to do something, need to be stimulated. So she wasn't easy to raise. Um, when she had her first communion of the five kids, the, she's the one I remember the most. She was so excited that she was going to get to eat Jesus. <laughs> um, at the time, it was around that time she was second grade. She was just beginning to be able to write Kathleen had a really hard time learning to read and write. But as soon as she could write, she started writing letters to Jesus. Here's one when she was 14 in 2007. She said, I'm here, it's always, Dear Jesus, I'm here on the canoe trip with the other junior high girls at Mackinac Island in Michigan. And And this this is is our our silent silent prayer prayer time. time. I'm outside sitting at a picnic table with Kelly. 
one of the girls on this trip, St. Paul's Joy. He writes a letter to us saying how happy he is that we are saved and that he has helped us change our bad ways. Oh my, there was just the cutest little squirrel that we fed with peanuts. We threw peanuts and it came up and ate them. Adorable. Love, your daughter, Kate. That was her prayer time that day. <laughs> so um, that's when she was 14. Then here's one when she was 18 in 2012. She always signed, she often signed her last name. Like God didn't know exactly which Kate this was. <laughs> so. Dear God, I am on a retreat in New Jersey. We were told to look at Matthew 5 and the Beatitudes. I don't see a Beatitude that relates to me. If there is one for me, it would be, Blessed are those who thirst for me and can never be satisfied. They will be fulfilled in my kingdom. We then did a life examination. Am I a good fruit or a bad fruit? How would people describe me? I believe that people would describe me as crazy when they think of me. Irritating. Fun. But what I would like people to think of me is joyful, caring, and faithful. Love, your daughter, Kate Smith. Kate had a deep relationship with Jesus Christ, but so, faced real challenges. In her early 20s, she I moved out, out of the house. She, she, we knew she was partying. You know, she was living fairly close to us in a house. We knew they were smoking weed. They knew We knew they were partying a fair amount. And she had been struggling with some friendships, and she had broken up with her boyfriend, and her sister just got married, and she had a good job lined up, but it wasn't going to start till October, and this was the summer, and that's when she was working in Jeff's office in the meantime. And so she decided, well, I'm going to I'm going to go out and preach to the heroin addicts because they need friends too, because you know she had just broken up with her boyfriend and had a fallout with her with her other friends and. So she moved in with this girl who was a heroin addict to help her with her two-year-old son, you know, late at night, whatever. I don't know exactly other than it was offered. And she said, yes. Now, she did have a ankle injury, a permanent ankle injury. She was in mild pain all the time. And I don't know if they said, this will really take care of it. I don't know if they said, you know, this will help you grieve over, you know, your boyfriend. I don't know what they said. She said yes, and then realized, oh my God, this is, I can't not do this. And then one day I looked at her and she just looked terrible. But I, I never used, so I, I didn't know what was going on. My son, one of my sons came to me maybe a couple days later and, say, and told me, Kathleen used heroin, and I've told her that she has to tell you. So I walked in the office there that she was working. I said, what's going on? And, da, 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 and she and she told me, Dad, I used it, but I'm only using it once, and I won't use it ever again. And, you know, she looked horrific. I had let her get a little, have a job. It wasn't a permanent job, but, you know, a job in my office. I was, and um, and I was really hurt. So then I had the the bad job of having to tell Jeannie. So I said to Jeannie, I said, come on, let's go take a walk. It might have been that evening. And uh, after dinner, we walked down one or two houses, and I said, I got some bad news to give you. 
Kate uh, Kate tried heroin. And Jeannie, I don't know if you maybe grabbed her stomach or whatever. She just, she said, I can't walk. I just doubled over in pain. Yeah, she just said, come on, let's go home. And um, we walked back home. And um, that was the beginning of a long journey. We we talked about how do we handle this. And we, we said, let's move her home. Let's get her out of that house where they're smoking weed and doing stuff. And uh, so she did, she asked to move home. And we, we thought... You know, we got her counseling right away, and um, we tried various things. Um, we tried a bunch of different things to help her recover. And 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 one point, I did have the conversation with her: Why, in your right mind, would you ever try heroin? And she said, "Mom, it was just a compulsive moment." And then it was 14, 15 months later at Christmas time, my nephew talked to my family about his dad who is a an alcoholic and has struggled his whole life my brother has struggled since he's been a teenager with alcohol and and he basically was giving the family information about how the family is awesome but we've been enabling my brother in his alcoholism and how we really have to not enable him even if it looks really bad. And um, the whole time my nephew was talking, Jeff and I were sitting there listening, going, he doesn't know what he's telling us, but he's telling us to quit, to quit enabling Kate. Kate. And it was after that that we talked and realized, yeah, we, we are not actually capable of helping her off of heroin. Um, Kate could lie to us and I would believe whatever she said. I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm not an expert at this. And so we sat down with her. We got some advice. This is where having good friends, you know, good brothers and sisters in the Lord were helpful. We got some advice and we sat down with Kathleen and we said, Kate, you want to be successful. You want to get off of heroin. We want you to be successful. We have the same goal. It's not, you're not being successful living here. So we're going to, you have to move out. If you move into a constructive situation like rehab, we will support that. If you decide to go live in a situation that's not constructive, you go live with your boyfriend or you go live with friends who are partying, we're not helping you. So we figured out how not to enable her anymore. And so, and I said, you got two weeks to find a rehab place, et cetera. And um, within two and a half weeks, we flew her down to Florida. But you know, we just made the best decisions we could each step of the way. We didn't know what was going to happen, and frankly, but we didn't. It was so painful for me. You know, we didn't let her come home. And for me as a dad, I wanted my daughter to live in Maryland. All my other kids are close by. Uh, I did mention that it was her brother. Her younger brother lived with her. He just graduated college and she was living down there and moving into a you know a um, an unsupervised halfway house kind of thing other recovery addicts were living there and we talked with joe before he went saying you you cannot save her what are you going to do you know how are you going to deal with this but you know you're an adult you choose what you want to do so he went down and lived with kathleen in the house there uh, for a month one month she died one month later yeah and he's the one who found her 
And I, you know, I thank the Lord that he was willing to do that. And, you know, of course, he now needs to get healed and, you know, of what he has experienced, finding your sister dead. But I thank the Lord that he was there on behalf of the family, that she wasn't alone, that she was loved up to the end. Her heart wanted to be set free. And uh, heroin, you know, it had its grips on her. And it was, it was, um, uh, it was too much for her to, to get set free from. And, um, and then we got these prayer journals. Lots of wonderful letters. Here's one a few months before she died in April of 2017. Dear God, thank you for never leaving my side. For, for never forsaking me, Lord. Thank you for the beauty around, the birds chirping, the palm trees, all your nature that worships you and that points to you, reminding me of your love. Thank you. Please, Lord, like I've cried to you before, again, save me from my demons. Heal my soul on your time. I surrender my anxieties, Lord. Let me be an example of your light. Thank you, Lord. Kate. As her mom, when I read that letter two weeks after she died, I just, at first, I just really struggled, Lord, why didn't you deliver her? She asked, she prayed, she sought, she, she cried out to you, why didn't you deliver her? And, you know, over many, many years of praying and thinking about God and how he loves us and how he deals with us, one of the things that keeps coming back is he gave us free will. And as a parent of five kids, I would have taken away my children's free will in a heartbeat. And I think most mothers and fathers would do that at times. But God did not take away our free will. He made a way for us to have a free will so that we could freely choose to love Him. And the mistakes we make, the stupid things we do, the even the intentional sins that we have committed, he made the way through Jesus and paid the price for us. And that's something Kathleen knew really well. And it was like I had to read that letter a bunch of times and see she knew that. She knew God did not abandon her, even though she had done something really stupid and even sinful, and that she had done many stupid things in her life, many sinful things in her life. She knew she was forgiven. She knew God would free her. And I just, through prayer, really sensed the Lord saying to me, I'm not going to take away people's free will, but I will be there with you. And I knew Kate would struggle, so I grabbed her early, and I didn't let her go. And looking at my five kids, it was Kate was the one that was writing letters at eight years old and 10 years old and 12 years old and, and developing this relationship with the Lord. And Jeff and I both feel like, you know, she may not have ever beat heroin had he rescued her that day, but he did rescue her from death. That is why Jesus died on the cross and that he would open that doorway to heaven. He opened the pathway that all of us could have a relationship with the Lord here and now and then eternal life with him. And Kate's life is very evident of that. She had a life with the Lord. She knew the Lord's voice. She delighted to serve Him. But just like you and me, she is 
you know, a weak human being that sinned and that was susceptible to the failings of this life. And I, you know, now look at that letter and I go, you did deliver her. You freed her. You know, in God's time, he delivered her. From start to finish, she was on heroin for two years. And it was long enough. She is whole now. She is beholding the face of God. And I would not wish her back because of that. Jeff and Jeannie, thank you for sharing your story. So much of what you say is is almost unimaginable. The thought for a lot of us of, of losing a child is just unbearable. I think for me, my thoughts for my children, my hopes and my dreams for my children are that they would live a full life. I come from a family of uh, achievers. Uh, and when we were kids, my parents would, and we'd be leaving the house, my parents would say, achieve. <laughs> That's what they would say. And so for our children, for me, to watch them grow into mature human beings and mature disciples of the Lord, to marry, to find somebody that they're going to journey well with, and to have, you know, a, a good life the way we think about a good life is um, very meaningful to me. One of my happiest days in my life, not the happiest, one of my happiest was when I walked my daughter Teresa up the aisle. And uh, as I said, not being able to do that, not watching my daughter Kathleen, you know, for her life to be cut short at age 24, it's, it's just a killer. Also, the thought that I have to grapple with at times that Lord, you didn't answer my prayer. You know, I prayed so deeply that you would rescue Kathleen. You know, now I work through it and I say, in the end, we'll see he did answer the prayer. But but I have to live life now. And to, you know, to feel like the Lord didn't answer that prayer is really hard. It's also really hard to watch Jeannie grieve. Or it's really hard to watch our daughter Teresa grieve. Um, those are particularly, I don't know, painful for me. We all, I think we kind of buy into this American dream. You know, we want our kids to be successful. We want them to have good jobs. We want them to have a great marriage. We want them to um, grow old and have a great career. And, you know, the two cars, two dogs, big TV. The world in the U.S., that's kind of what we buy into. You know, this is what we want. And I want my kids to know the Lord. I want them to be in eternal life. And with Kate, I feel like it is an incredible loss to lose a kid. But I know where she is. And I know we'll see her again. Um, because every one of the kids, I think that has been my goal. Let them know you, Lord. And I have complete confidence that that's the case with Kate. There is no doubt in my mind that she knew the Lord. We had lots of great conversations, even over the two years when she was with us trying to recover. So yes, just like you saw now, sometimes I talk about her and I cry because I miss her. And I don't know if that ever goes away. 
but I also know the joy of the Lord. That this is not the end of the story. The end of the story is not she died of heroin. The end of the story is history will be finished and we all will be in heaven with, you know, new bodies and new minds and whatever else God makes new. I don't know, but it'll be a lot better than here. I'm Edward Herrera. This is How We Grieve. More with Jeff and Jeannie in a bit. Stay with us. I'm Edward Herrera, and this is How We Grieve. Before the break, we were speaking with Jeff and Jeannie about the loss of their daughter, Kate. However, there's a little more to their story. Jeff, would you like to fill us in on what's been going on the last year and a half? So um, I'll just do a quick timeline to give, uh, to give you a sense of what's going on. In February of 2015, our second oldest son, who has been married and he's has he has three kids. Uh, he had a drunk driving accident and he killed a woman. Uh, he was 26 at the time. In August of 2015, we found out that our fourth child, our, our second daughter, Kathleen, or Kate, uh, she tried heroin. And uh, so we moved her home. She was 22 at the time. In February of 2016, our older son who had the accident, he was convicted and he went to jail. He was in work release so he could still support his family, um, but that was a very difficult year. In January of 2017, uh, we moved our daughter Kathleen down to Florida to enter rehab. In February, our son got out of jail. In August of 2017, our daughter Kathleen died of a heroin overdose. And then in December, just last December, we found out that our oldest son, Peter, who's now 32. He'll be 32 this week. Uh, he was diagnosed with terminal cancer in his colon and his lungs. Uh, and he has had a report recently that has shown no signs of, of growth in the cancer in his colon. And we're thanking the Lord for that. So some really uh, great trials for us and time for us to lean into the Lord and to, uh, to learn a lot through the suffering that we've been going through. Jeff and Jeannie, I imagine for most of our listeners, myself included, even hearing your situation is a lot to process. I can't even imagine trying to live it. Jeff, as a husband and a father, Jeannie as a, as a wife and a mother, can you share how you've each been coping with all of this? One of the things that helps me a lot is to think about heaven. I've looked through the scriptures a lot about what does it say about heaven and what are what is our inheritance? And I think about the cosmos and I think about where is it and what is it going to be like? And and I like to read um, stories about people's near-death experiences. Anyway, that's one thing that helps me, does not help Jeff, does not help Peter. He doesn't want to hear it. And another thing is sometimes we'll be out with friends. And this is a very typical one. So we'll maybe have some you know, another couple over for dinner, just Jeannie and me and this other couple. And she'll want to spend a lot of the evening talking all about Kate. And I only have so much, I, I can only spend so much time grieving. You have four other adult children. How have they been dealing with Kate's death? So I have another daughter. It has been most painful for her as I'm not saying it's not painful for the boys, but she has felt it very, very deeply losing her sister. She has three brothers. 
she has one sister and most of her friends just they don't know what to say and it's been more than a year so they pretty much don't say anything anymore so part of a parent's grief is you have your own grief you have your spouse's grief and then you're watching your kids grief and for her this too i go lord this is part of her journey i have to trust that you're going to meet her needs what i can do is i listen to her when she's really struggling because it you know it comes in waves you do fine and then a wave will hit you christmas is hard it's been more than a year this is the second christmas i have tears often so i'm not surprised when my daughter calls with really grieving again it seems in speaking with you that people have been generally pretty supportive of you and Jeannie. have you found anything that they've said or done to be less than helpful i did want to share a couple things about things that people have said to me that are, are um, I haven't found the wisest. Uh, one is people will come up to me and say, Jeff, God is testing you. <laughs> I go, ah, well, thank you. Thank you for that encouraging word. Or somebody else will come up and say, because you're trying to walk as a disciple, uh, God brings trials on those who serve him. Every, everybody's trying to figure this out. Everybody's trying to make sense of this. But I just, I, I pretty much just thank people for whatever they say, and I tend to not worry about it, and I kind of ignore it. I think they're just trying to comfort us the best they know, and they're trying to make sense of how, why did Jeff and Jean lose this daughter when they're trying to be faithful Catholics? Another thing that I find particularly unhelpful and I don't agree with this statement at all, is people will say to me, well, God will never give you anything that you can't handle. Mm. And I think that's a bunch of BS. I think, and my, my response generally is, first of all, we have an enemy. The evil one wants to undermine us. Um, and the Lord will be by our side. And what I know to be true is what I can't handle, God will come to my aid and um, but but to say to somebody God will never give you more than you can handle most of the time is said to people who are feeling like they're underwater and they can't handle they can't handle life period and I think the Lord wants us to know that he's with us and that not being able to handle what's going on is normal and he wants to come to our aid and he wants to give us comfort in, in our day-to-day -day life and in our mourning and our grief. In 2 Corinthians 1, he says, God is the God of all comfort who knows how to comfort those who are grieving because he himself sent his son and lost his son. And it is our right from our baptism. It is our heritage as Catholics that the Holy Spirit will come to us when we need him to comfort us. And I cry out for that often and uh, even and it's been very helpful talking to father rob too about some of these things because i've gone to him and i've said this is what's is said to me and i don't even know how to respond and he'll look at me and he go people are stupid <laughs> <laughs> which is about the perfect thing to say to me because it makes me laugh and and it's like he's acknowledging we don't even know how to help each other with grief and we say stupid things My brothers, I have five brothers, they pretty much all showed up that day. 
to be there to comfort me. But I had a nail appointment that day and I decided I'm going to my nail appointment. We're going to have a funeral. I don't want my... <laughs> and he was going, what are you doing? Why are you going to that? Why? You can cancel that. And I looked at him. I was like, I know I can cancel my appointment, but I need to get my nails done. And I'm not just going to sit around here and cry. So I took my sister and my daughter and another friend and we all went to the nail salon and I thought, wow, yeah, that is an example. He's telling me you can't do this. You got to do that. And I know his intention was to care for me. So I don't question his intention, but it was surprising how I got up to sweep the floor and somebody's like, no, don't do that. Okay, guys, I, I have to live. I can't just sit here. It helps me to do things. Um, another person you know, they might need to just sit there and do nothing. For me, I couldn't do that. And because that friend had said, don't let anybody tell you how to do it, I gave myself permission to be me and not to be somebody else, which that was really helpful. Another thing that was unhelpful for me to hear was, oh, you're strong. You're going to be okay. You're really strong. And I felt like personally, aside from Kate's death, people would describe me as a strong person. That is what it is. But in the face of my daughter dying, I felt like that took away my permission to have a hard time. I was like, who cares if I'm strong or not strong? This sucks. This is not what God intended. He didn't intend his people to die. It's, we all die. We all have to go through this veil and our loved ones who who are left behind they have to they're going to suffer our loss being st that just didn't help me and i would encourage people not to say that to people because it let, it was like it was saying you're not going to grieve as much as other people we know that addiction is a disease but sometimes there's still a stigma attached to it relative to for example cancer did you find that people reacted differently to Peter's cancer diagnosis versus finding out that Kate struggled with addiction? People didn't know she had a drug addiction until she died. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't um, broadcast it. It was her reputation, you know. It's her. So, but I would agree there is a stigma to drug addiction, and I think people with drug addictions or alcohol addictions, the old part of me that was judged. And by the way, I have three alcoholic brothers. The part of me that would go, but they made a choice um, and they keep making choices. Okay, maybe you made an initial choice one time. And I certainly cannot claim in my life to have never taken a drink of alcohol or I cannot claim that I'm sin free. I just can't. So they made a choice that might not have been, that might may have been sinful at the time. I'm not going to judge. But what I saw with her, she didn't want to be a drug addict. She didn't want to be addicted to heroin. She took it one time, and I don't know why, but it was addiction immediately. And it causes extreme anxiety when you're not taking it. And that anxiety doesn't go away for years. It's not like you can go to a 30-day rehab and suddenly you're clean. That anxiety doesn't go back to normal for a you know, three, four, maybe five years. And I mean, how many of us could have severe anxiety all the time and suck it up and go to a meeting? I mean, that's pretty much how, what we tell people. 
suck it up, go to a meeting, talk to your sponsor. I don't think I could have beat it. I, yeah, I am. You know, I've actually found people really very kind. Uh, They do sometimes say things that are unwise, but generally, yes, I think with our son with cancer, people say he had nothing to do with that. Uh, And, and he's got a genetic, you know, a gene that's caused this. And with our daughter, yep, uh, I think people view it, you know, worse. But people generally, especially in our parish, especially good Catholic, good Christian brothers and sisters have been very supportive. And I think that, you know, when we see people who don't go through this, maybe they have a really good family and their kids are well put together, they should just say, thank God for his mercy on our family that we are not having to go through some of that stuff. And when, you know, when we were a younger couple, as Jeannie said, we were going to raise the perfect family. I just, I had it all down and um, it didn't exactly turn out that way. So I think Kathleen had something that was predisposed toward addiction so that when she took that first hit of heroin, I think at that point it grabbed her. But I do think it's a combination of, you know, her genetic makeup, but also her choices. And there are choices, and that's for the Lord to figure out and to decide. And as Jeannie said, we're all sinners. We all got weaknesses. Some of our weaknesses go before us, and they and people can see them. Others of our weaknesses and our sins are hidden, and they'll be dealt with by the Lord. And hopefully they're dealt with today through confession and things like that. But I do think there's Kathleen's different than our other kids. Our other kids probably tried some things, and it didn't lead them down the path to heroin. None of them ever tried anything like that. And uh, with Kathleen, once it got her, it got her. As Christians, we should all believe in the reality of heaven. But being with you today, I have been particularly struck by your sense of the real closeness of heaven. Is this something that came more into focus with Kate's death? Uh, For me, for all these years of trying to follow the Lord and be a good Catholic disciple, I've thought about how do we advance the kingdom of God on earth? My eyes are always here. How do we evangelize more? How do we, how do we live in a way that's pleasing to God now? And then the future will work itself out, you know, after I die. Now, Kate, just by living as a disciple, it prepared me for this next part of the journey. I mean, I already believed in heaven. I really did. If I didn't believe in heaven, I would I would go crazy. Move to a Caribbean island. And I would just think, my God, <laughs> where is my daughter? I the faith in heaven, and faith in the Lord's mercy to get us there, is everything. But Jeannie's thought a lot more about heaven than I have. She thinks about it all the time. I think Kate's death for sure has brought heaven much closer into my perspective. But I think it's it's Kate's death. I think it's also partly our age we're kind of the the sandwich age where you're trying to help your kids get established in life and you're burying your parents. Jeff's dad just passed away two years ago before Kate did and he was 90 years old and I think burying a 90 year old and then burying a 24 year old within a year was an interesting thing too because I sit there and I look and I go Why do some people get 90 years and some people get 24 years and some people get two years? What is this life all, you know, what is this? And 
it leads me to going, this life is supposed to be really that preparation for what God wants for us eternally. And I cope by thinking about heaven, thinking that her, her life wasn't a waste or she's not gone. She, I just can't hug her, but she is alive and she's alive in a place that's so much better than here because that's what God promised us. And why would Jesus have come if we were all just going to die and be buried and be dust in the ground? If that's what life is, he certainly wouldn't have had to die on a cross. And it makes no logical sense for this life, which is but a breath compared to eternity for this life to be the best life. So when I'm especially sad, I think about what it's going to be like. And I look at what the scriptures say and I, you know, like there's a scripture in Corinthians that says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And there's just numerous scriptures that talk about, you know, we see through a veil now, we shall see face to face then. We just get a glimpse now of, of the goodness of God. And one last thing, she, Kathleen, had a piece of paper taped to the wall next to her bed. And it was from Philippians 3, maybe 21, here you 21. and it said, But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I grabbed that piece of paper from her wall. I have that still in my house. I'm going to frame it. And um, so Kate believed in heaven. And she, we didn't know she was going to get there before us. No. By God's grace. We'll get there. Thank you. couple examples of how we saw after the fact God work. Um, we got a letter from, um, I have it right oh, you here. have the letter. We got a letter from one of the people she was in rehab with. Go ahead and read the letter. So seven months after Kate died, we got this from a friend. I didn't know Kate well, but I have felt compelled to write something here for months. I want her family to know what an important role she played in me seeking a relationship with God. She was my roommate at retreat, that was the rehab center, and spent hours talking to me about her faith during a time when I needed faith so badly after years of rejecting God. Kate was patient with me. She never judged my opinions and had a way of dissolving doubts I've carried with me most of my life. I will never forget her and what a gift she gave in helping me find room in my heart to seek God. It was the greatest gift anyone could ever give. I truly believe that she was put in my life for that reason and I wish I had taken the time to let her know that I couldn't have found the strength to continue my journey without God and that my journey began with her. How We Grieve is hosted and written by Edward Herrera with production help, original music, editing, and creative direction by Jay Lampart. Kaylee Meeks read the letters written by Kathleen. Special thanks to our guests for sharing their stories of loss and hope. This has been a production of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. To learn more, visit our website, howwegrieve.org.